Hi, welcome to the Wire Podcast. My name is David Boogie. Today I'm talking with Gary O'Callaghan. Gary is the CEO of Siemens Ireland. Our conversation is in three parts. The first part is Gary giving an overview of Siemens Ireland, the organisation, what's been going on in the last couple of years, and what he thinks the next few years might be like. The second part of the conversation moves more into topics of culture, leadership and diversity and we talk about what's really going on in Siemens and some of the changes that we're seeing and and maybe that need to happen in our organisation for the future. The last part of the conversation is more about Gary himself, his career within Siemens and the things that I suppose make him the person that he is and led him to be the CEO of Siemens Ireland. So I hope you enjoy it. First and foremost, it, it, it's uncharted waters. Especially in a leadership team, you see very much that we've really tried to increase different thinking. Mm-hmm. And that is sometimes really scary. This is very much more about co-creation and collaborating towards an outcome. Yeah, we have more people in Siemens than Microsoft, Apple, Google and Facebook together. Leadership is one of the critical elements in all of this. Those of you who want a new challenge, are comfortable with doing something a little bit different, uh, uh, come and join us, get your name in the hat, and uh, let's make this change together. And we're gonna take you through a little journey in this next 45 minutes of the why, the what, and the how. Well, first of all, you know, thanks very much uh, for agreeing to do this. Any reflections on 2018 or kind of hopes for 2019? Anything big stand out for you now, kind of this time? Ooh, um, and by the way, thank you for the opportunity. Um, it's an experiment and I think it's a, it's a good experiment, a worthy one, and I hope it works out very well and you get lots of people listening in and learning <laughs> a lot. Um, yeah, 2018, um, I'm sure you, you're probably aware that back in 2016, um, when we separated Windpower, we had a dialogue with um, Jorgen Meyer and Klaus Helmrich, who was visiting the UK at the time. And basically, he indicated to us that when Windpower left, the organisation size that was left behind was suboptimal. And we put together a business plan. And um, I suppose for large parts of the first quarter and second quarter last year, we were a little bit worried that we mightn't get there. Yeah. And then one of our key strategies, which was in MS and data centers, um, yielded some results. And um, we got some big orders uh, directly from the client. And um, we've subsequently received other orders in the data center sector from contractors. So I'm hoping that that strategy has now bedded in and is mm-hmm. going to continue to deliver. Um, it's something that we will need. Right. Um, we were successful in selling a T3000 upgrade to one of our large power gen customers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then in uh, Digital Grid, in EM, we secured the key contract for the supply and rollout of the national electrical smart metering contract as well. So that's business that's tucked under our belt. And then we've got a couple of notable projects in the uh, EMTS area, which we're expecting that uh, we will do quite well with during 2019. Yeah, yeah. A lot of um, energy projects there. How about building technology, DFPD? What's your 
what's your sense about the market in Ireland around those areas as well? Um, I think in DF and PD, we, we probably have a reasonable market share. BT is a strange one. Um, depending on which market you look at, uh, we could have a half percent market share. And that's when you look at the total market. But the total market is it's a little bit silly in that it includes cash and transit, for example. It, yeah. It's a security product or a security service. And that has, you know, multi-hundred millions value per annum. So I'm not quite sure if it makes sense to look at total market. Our addressable and accessible markets are practically the same in DFPD and in BT. And... Um, I would say in both cases we could do more, but I think what's happened historically is that over the years we have been pushed back into a product supply type entity. It was clean, it was safe, it was risk free, mm. um, but it's low margin business. And um, we're getting to the stage now where I won't say we've probably reached our market share of products, but we're not too far off it. And for us to grow either of those markets, we're going to have to get into systems integration business or project business right. or turnkey business, depending on which phrase you want to use or which business you're looking at. So the challenge for BT and the FMPD will be to get into large projects um, where we're delivering uh, systems and services. All right. And is there experience in the kind of energy side of Siemens that might help in that? Um, I guess in, if you think about the energy business, they're quite used to doing projects in turnkey. And yeah, there is. Um, and unfortunately, the way we're organised, um, I don't know if any currency is associated with that experience that's learned in, right. in another division. Um, and, and there may be great sense behind that. And I think most of the, of the decisions about whether to go for project business or a particular project or not is really based on the merits of that project and our capability, our ability to deliver it. Now, it's not just our ability standalone. It would be our ability in conjunction with our colleagues in GB&I. And in both cases, in the past six months, we have bid for project business in both the FPD and in BT. We haven't been successful, mm. but we're getting closer, and um, you know we, we need to learn the market. Um, so I, I, we're knocking on the door. I'm not sure. Yes, us as an organisation, as a management team, as a leadership team, as a team that has to try and understand the risks and perils, even into health and safety of getting involved in these projects. Yes, there is some experience in there that we can lean on. Mm. But when you're talking about the very specific risk and reward of an individual project. I'm not sure if experience learned elsewhere will benefit us. Right. You, you mentioned there the working with the colleagues in GB, um, and I guess we have a, you know, like Siemens is constructed is there's a lead country which is GB and there's, I think, a signed country, is that yeah. what we're calling a signed country? Um, in Ireland. How would you kind of describe the relationship between Ireland and GB and, and I suppose how is it today and how do you see it maybe changing over the next couple of years? Um, it's an interesting question and it's an extremely topical question. Um, I remember two years ago at the uh, leadership conference, the UK, or there I go already, the, G <laughs> the GB&I leadership conference, yeah. um, 
the Ireland wasn't really referred to an awful lot in any of the brochures and documentation. And it was my, my first leadership conference as CEO. And when I came back, I got a lot of grief over it. But I've basically tried to defuse it. Um, I think there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on that might be important to individuals, but in the overall scheme of things, I think it's unimportant. I mean, I could, you could get all the geographic lessons you want about what's UK, what's GB, what's I, what's GB and I, what's the British Empire, um, and it goes on and on and on. Yeah. And what I say to the guys is these people are more focused in on customers and markets and winning business than you know getting things like that totally politically correct. We don't want to be left out, and mm. I don't feel left out. Yeah. I, I feel included um, and certainly at EMB level uh, I think the level of inclusion is extremely welcome, warm and extensive. When you get down into individual business units, divisions and into business units, the understanding of the relationship can vary a lot right. and sometimes there are business imperatives in the UK. Um, that might drive the need to do something in a particular way here. And those business imperatives may be misunderstood and people may feel that, you know, somebody's not playing the GB&I ball appropriately. Um, and those things tend to blow out from time to time. Yes, there are people who disagree with the concepts around GB&I and the fact that we operate an all-island market. And um, as far as people in Dublin are concerned our market is Ireland and Northern Ireland and um, not everybody gets that um, sometimes it creates difficulties but I think in the main we're able to sort it out but that's not that's not at leadership EMB level that's kind of as you get further down into the BU level right. um, where people are looking to um, they're basically looking to meet their own targets yeah do you see that there's there's anything that we're doing in Siemens Ireland that can provide leadership in GBNI. So the way we're going about things, is, is there something we are already doing or could be doing? Do you think where we're demonstrating leadership within that GBNI group? Um, I, I think it's an interesting project. Um, at EMB, we every year and then quarterly throughout the year, we talk about our strategic objectives and a recurring theme is the impermeable layer of middle management. And that is where something, uh, either a, a, a priority or a value or a cultural emphasis can be discussed at EMB level. And everybody thinks that's a great idea. And we go out and, and, and we try to get that to go viral throughout the organization. Mm. And in some cases we've tried it, if I can use the phrase top down, and in other cases we've tried to do a bottom up. Um, but it still gets stuck at the same place, mm. in the middle. And because we're such a small organization, it seems to be an awful lot easier to get those messages through to, pe to people. And like, for example, I could say to you that there are people in the EMB who care deeply about the people that work for them at all levels and care deeply about their welfare and about their performance and yet when you speak to people further down the organization they think that they're aloof mm. here in a small group of people with 80 people those 
barriers don't exist. Sure. You know, it, yeah. it, 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 what's real is felt throughout the whole organisation. Now, is there something that you could do and try to make the UK organisation and its 14,000 people into smaller groups of people? Um, I think that could be defeating the whole purpose because it's people-to-people -people transmission is what gets these things going, whether yeah. it's up, down, or sideways, or uh, you know. Um, but there's something in there that we're, I'm sure you could analyze and see how messages get from one side of the organization to the other yeah. here in Ireland and where it stops in the UK. And you know, um, th 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 there might be some benefit for the UK in being able to analyze that. Well, I suppose we're in the midst of kind of an organisational change at the moment where we're creating these operating companies and these strategic companies. Is that, in effect, a way to try and create smaller organisations that are more autonomous, do you think? Is there something about not having 14,000 people under one umbrella and trying to actually enable them to have some autonomy that is pointing in that direction, that we need, we need smaller, more agile more autonomous organizations in the future well if i were to try to set out why i think we've moved in the direction that we've moved in um they're all for i would say in the main outward looking market focus reasons um that we can get closer to our customers um that we have a, a greater suite of end-to-end -end solutions for our customers um, that we can now maybe allow the different operating companies operate at a different pace, let them make their own decisions, decisions that are appropriate for their business in the interest of their customers, mm. as opposed to a one-size-fits-all. I'm not sure that's the answer to the problem that we've discussed, um, because bear in mind, um, we're moving from what you could describe as 20-something business units into three operating companies. Right. So you could actually be compounding that problem mm. by giving people a single identity. You're now SI, you're no longer EM, MS, right. MV. Yeah. Um, and and that, that may compound it. Um, I say external reasons. There are internal reasons for the new organization and that is to foster greater collaboration. It's very difficult to collaborate across the six or seven divisions that we had. Um, and especially where you've got a disparate divisions like you've got, let's say, wind power when it was here and digital factory. Um, you know, and you, you try to encourage those people to collaborate. They'll say, collaborate, we'll collaborate about what? what? What have we got in common? Now, by bringing these BU set suites of business units together, you're nearly kind of, it's nearly a, a forced collaboration, which is a good thing in mm. one sense. And any collaboration is good, but this is nearly forced. But for me, um, aside from the organisational change, uh, the whole, the, 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 what's going to grease the wheels and make things move is our culture, right. without a shadow of a doubt. And yes, <clears throat> the, the transforming into three operating opposts um, will impact on our culture to some degree. We, we would expect to see uh, a more adaptable, we would see a more adaptable side to our culture. We would, I would expect to see a more autonomous side where people are allowed to get on with their work. Um, I would expect to see greater focus. 
on our markets and our customers. Um, ownership culture has been around for a while and that was, to one degree, that was a completely new cultural attribute which we as a leadership team were asked to develop and deliver on and I think we've done, as a company, globally, we've done a pretty good job with that. But there are more cultural aspects right. that are now going to come into play and it really depends on how we deal with those. Right. That, that's going to determine the level to which we can get these messages going from one side of the organisation to the other. And if when you think about the future, Gary, and the future organisation and the culture of the future organisation, what do you think we're going to have to leave behind? So what's the, you know, what's, what's been part of our culture in the past that we're going to have to let go of in order to move into the future? Um, that's not a real David Boogie question. <laughs> Um, but I'll answer it. Um, I, 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 I'm a little bit hesitant to kind of pick out traits or attributes of our culture that we say we don't need those anymore because I'm a great believer in the fact that the company is around for 173 years. Yeah. And whatever we've had up until now has served us extremely well. Yeah. And those things that some people would say uh, are no longer fit for purpose might be the length of time it takes to make a decision. It might be the bureaucracy. It might be that the answer to everything is a process. It might be, show me the business case and I'll tell you if I'm going to invest. And those things have served us well, but we have to tweak them now because right. we're moving into a world where things are going to move much faster. And if we can't make decisions quickly, if we can't, take a risk on something, somebody else will. Right. And the time it's going to take that somebody else to get what they do to market is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So it's not a question that we'll wake up someday and figure out somebody's trying to steal our lunch. Mm -hmm. Our lunch will be gone yeah. if we don't learn to move faster. So we've had cultural attributes that have stood us extremely well down throughout the years and now we're going to have to tweak them for the future and add those to new attributes like adaptability, ownership culture, autonomy, flexibility. Right. And what do you think your role as the CEO of Siemens Ireland or as part of the EMB or GBNI is in tweaking those uh, kind of traits that we've had and mindsets that we've had? Um, a couple of areas. First, I would say that our culture is, is, is how we get things done. People need to be clear about, first of all, what it is we're trying to get done. Right. Um, we know we want to serve society. We know we have to be profitable if we want to serve society, if we want to make really what matters. What, that's our purpose now, but our true North Star as far as I'm concerned, in order to serve that purpose is that we can become a 21st industry 4.0 company that is recognized as being the digital services company in electrification and automation. 
So that message, even as I say it now, it sounds lumpy and it's, it's, it needs to be tailored. So for starters, the, that vision, whatever the vision is in there, needs to be really crystal clear. And people need to understand what, what that vision is. Then people need to understand or the, the EMB. And when I, you ask me about me as a leader of Siemens in Ireland and the EMB, well, the same applies to, to both. I, okay. I, I, as a member of the EMB. Um, the next thing that needs to happen then is that people need to understand what are the values that we believe as a leadership team are required in order to deliver on that promise. And values drive behaviours. So leaders have to stand up and they have to lead by example. Um, they cannot say one thing and do something different. If they're trying to instill a sense of value or a sense of values into the organisation, they have to live those values. And I believe for me that's extremely important that when we want to say that we want things say to be flexible, that if I'm perceived as inflexible, the whole thing fails. If I say we should be adaptable, we should move quickly, we should be decisive in being adaptable, um, and if I don't do that, then the whole thing fails. And when you speak about adaptability or adaptive leadership, if I continue to look at every single problem that occurs as a technical problem to be solved, and yet I'm trying to encourage people to take a more adaptive approach to situations, then it doesn't ring true. So that, that's in the main. It's, it's, it's about showing leadership and leading by example. So you actually have to live the kind of yeah. leadership that you're espousing. Yeah. And, and how different is that? Like you've, you've been in Siemens a long time, Gary. So has that always in reality been the case? If you think about previous CEOs and how what they said and how they acted, have we always been that? Have we always known that? Or why is that now coming to the surface? Because I, I hear quite a bit that, you know, we need to, you know, it's not just about what we say, it's what we do. But surely that's always been the case. Or do you think in the past it was, it was different, that there was, wasn't as much transparency or scrutiny or openness? Or what was different than, you know, 10 years ago? And I think the, the nature of work is changing. And um, we went through our strategic review on in, in December. And we have the three company priorities. Um, put customer at the core, make digitalization work, and um, lead by example. And we've added to that, create an inspirational culture and create the workplace of the future. Both of those are extremely important because the employees that we are employing at the moment and any new employees that we employ they are being raised in a different world their expectations are different and if we continue to give old style leadership um it won't work and i'm a firm believer in the phrase people leave managers they don't leave companies right. and if you have a degree of dissonance about what a manager or what a leader is doing and what the organization is saying, that person is just going to get upset and, and, and move on. And the capacity to move on is made much simpler in this new world. Before longevity with a company was an asset, it's not such a great asset anymore. Wow. So not only has it got, you've got to treat people differently and treat people better, 
but the opportunity for them to move on, I think, is, is, is much more attractive and, and much more possible or likely in this day and age. If you go back and read the books that were written by Jack Welch back in the 60s, or if you look at Harvard Business Reviews from the 60s, they'll all talk about lead by example. Mm. But, I mean, science has moved on, intelligence has moved on, and the things that they were telling us to do to lead better have changed. Right. And there's a greater emphasis now on instead of, say, managing risk, you know, manage flexibility, manage adaptability, mm. manage autonomy, manage focus. So I think they all matter, but the emphasis is changing. And in fact, I was just listening to a documentary yesterday on CNN, and a gentleman has uh, written a book, uh, Stephen Johnson, I think is his name, and it's called Foresight. Okay. And effectively, what he's saying is, is that people should take the lessons learned by the American Defense Department's decision to go after bin Laden. They spent nine months teasing over, should they do this, should they not do this, and all of the different things that were going on. And he's basically written a book saying, gosh, wouldn't we be better people if we brought this kind of decision-making into our personal lives? And I'm not going to go into the details of it, but it sounds like an interesting read. I haven't read it. It sounds like an interesting read. But he said two things. One was that people who have got a much wider variety of interests and experience make better decisions. Okay. And when you have a group of people that come from diverse backgrounds, whether it's gender or race or sexual orientation or whatever else, they make better decisions. Now, we've been talking this, about this in Siemens for the last two years. We've yes. been talking about diversity and the need to get more diversity into the organisation. And I think that is going to become critically important because the, oper the, 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 the people who served us for 173 years and served us very well, it's almost like we've reached saturation point and the capacity for them to find the next market innovation seems less likely. It's not impossible, but it's less likely because there are less of them and we need to create a more diverse workforce so as we can have more eyes on the market to try to create those innovative ideas that get us into a position where we build that sustainable digital mm. services company. And, and in what ways do you think we would be able to do that? So. Uh, what do you see either going on now or that you think could happen that would enable this better decision-making, more diverse workforce to, to play a bigger part in the future? Um, I, I, I believe that culture is formed, or a, a, a cultural attribute is formed when it gets rewarded for what it seeks to do. Now, that's not always for the good. I mean, you can have an organisation with a culture that's relatively appropriate, but suddenly something goes awry and a subculture bubbles up. Right. And you may have a group of people who are switched off or upset or disappointed, and they start to behave differently. right? And once they start to behave differently, they may get the reward in the uh, collegiality within that group. 
they yeah. have now friends who feel the same and it's rewarding and they might go for a beer or go for a coffee with those and they get positive feedback and yeah. the subculture gets nurtured and fed and bubbles up the same applies in the positive direction that if something needs to be done or if, if we want something to continue to be done then we need to find some way to give reward for those cultural habits or attributes being lived out. I'm not talking about money. Um, there are many, many ways to do it. But as a leadership team, we need to reward those cultural traits. We do it every year at the leadership conference. We separate the rewards into four categories of right. different things to be. We want people to be innovative. We give awards for innovation. Yeah. So we're starting to do a lot of it. Now, how does that break down into the day-to-day -day operating operation of the office? Again, it goes back to leadership. Mm. And we used to meet once a year, we'd form our strategy, and then we come back get, again at the end of the year and say, how did the strategy go? Did it work very well? And what do we tweak now for the coming year? And we said, that can't happen. We've now got to do this more frequently. So we're going to meet quarterly, and we're going to put the same effort in quarterly as we did annually. And we're going to watch all of these traits and attributes and say, are we moving the dial forward on each one of these? We said we want to build the workplace of the future. What have we done in the past three months that has mm -hmm. done that? We said we wanted to create an a culture of inspiration. What have we done to move the dial forward on that? We've said we're going to encourage every employee to seek out time to be inspired by, something, by doing something different mm. that inspires them differently than their day job. What have we done in the past three months? to um, encourage that. So by revisiting it, by living it, by making it part of our day-to-day -day dialogue, um, I think we can make positive strides in there. Mm. I think I'm still left with a question, Gary, around this diversity thing. So we, we do speak a lot about it, and I accept that at the Leadership Forum, we, we pay a lot of attention to it, which is a way of signaling this is important um, for us. But I'm, I'm also left asking the question, if I look around this office and then when I'm in the UK, I don't see a huge amount of diversity. And I, I also hear still you know, this idea of the way Siemens d does things and the way we want. You know, we, we might, at a superficial level, embrace diversity in terms of, even in terms of gender or race. But are we... Are we really asking for people who disagree with us, who come with a different perspective of what's right and wrong, and to bring them into the decision-making process? Are we really up for diversity of the way we're thinking about stuff? Um, it's a good question, and uh, it probably depends on who you ask. Um, does everybody who espouses the virtues of diversity really understand what they're doing and what they're saying? I don't know, you, you, you have to make that call yourself when you've spoken to them. Um, we have a workforce in place and that's our team and we can't just wipe half them out and say let's get in a whole bunch of diverse millennials. Um, so it's more than, so we, we, we have to do our best to try to understand the structure of our teams and what types of diversity in thinking we have. Right. And as we go forward and develop those teams and grow them, we have to be cognizant about that. But it's not only the getting in new people. Existing people within Siemens 
um, have got, they are a source of, of, of innovation. We, we talk a little bit about uh, age diversity. Yeah. You know, and that if you're over 50 in Siemens, you basically, you know, you're yesterday's person. Yeah. That's not true. I mean, those people brought the company forward for so many decades, and there's value in there. Mm. Um, you have people that are operating in certain business areas that may have an opinion about something that's going on in a completely different business area, or they can operate in a certain discipline and have ideas about things that are going on in other disciplines. Yeah. So it's a question of creating, literally trying to create a virtual organization where everybody feels that they have the right to speak up and particularly to speak up about something where they see that there is an opportunity that's being missed. Now, looking for uh, gender diversity and religious diversity and national, national nationality diversity and sexual orientation diversity, that people understand that those people are come from a place that's different than the stereotypical and I'm going to say Siemens person that brought us 173 years of success. Mm. So we know that that's a source. And that's why we're saying we should try to get more of that into the organization. But remember, we have our existing team mm. and we have to try to seek out sources of diversity within that team. And it may only be diversity in thinking. Yeah. It may be diversity in attitude. You may have somebody who's working in a job and they are totally governed by what they can do and what they can't do. But yet that person might be a really, really strong risk taker. Mm. But we've never found it out because we haven't put them in the arena. Yeah. So within our own organization, we've got to seek out diverse thinking. And then when we hire new people into the organization, we have to be aware of where our diversity deficit lies. Yeah. And it seems to me, Gary, that that is some of the work that we have been doing in Siemens over the last few years, which is, you know, how do we bring more voices into the conversation? How do we change the way we're having conversations? The people who are maybe usually silent or don't contribute in meetings, building skills to bring them in and bring those ideas in. So I think, and I'd be more interested in the diversity of the thinking and the ideas than the colour of someone's skin or what religion they are. I think it's the ideas and the thinking that bring the true diversity. I, I believe you're, you're correct in saying that the end game is to get diversity in thinking. There is an assumption, and it is a scientific assumption, that by bringing in people from a different nationality or with different colour of skin or that has come from a different part of society as a result of their sexual orientation or their religion or whatever, mm. that instantaneously or automatically you're going to get diverse thinking. Ultimately, you're right. It is diverse thinking. But when you pick somebody from a diverse background you're going to get that diversity ready-made. Now, but you're right in that diversity of thinking could exist within our own organization, within the white stereotypical male, there could be diversity of thinking and leadership has to, has to seek that out. Yeah, very good. Okay, so we've spoken quite a bit about, you know, Siemens, the business, markets, culture, diversity. I'd be interested to know a little bit more about you, Gary, as well. And, you know, you've been, You've been the CEO now for two or three years? Three. Three years. When did, when did you first ever think, oh, 
you know, I could be the CEO of this place someday. Was it, was it years and years ago or was it? Three what, years ago. Three years ago. Really? No. I know, it was a little, a, a yeah. little bit more than that. Um, I, I've had a strange uh, career, I suppose. Um, although the more I talk to some other people, it seems I'm seeing they, they, they have equally strange ones. Once I thought it was strange. But yeah, I mentioned earlier on Jack Welsh. And um, my father used to work for Jack Welsh. Okay. He was a production manager in a, a GE company that moved to a small town um, just on the border of Northern Ireland called Dundalk in 1966. And um, I happened to be an apprentice electrician with DSB. And they were building a one of the first shopping centres in Dundalk at the time. Shopping, shopping centres were new, newfangled things in those days. And there was a massive transmission cable that had to be diverted. And I found myself on St. Patrick's Day in overalls, in a 12-foot hole in the ground, in the lashing rain, from toe to hair in mud, yeah. directly opposite my father's office. And I said to myself, there has to be a better way to earn money. So, I mean, at that stage I was studying and uh, I ended up moving to a company called Nixdorf as a computer service engineer. Then I moved into telecoms, moved into telecoms management, then I moved into sales. And I switched over to Siemens in 91 in telecom sales again and then in early 2000, 2004, transmission distribution, right. energy sector 2008, and then CEO 2015. And I suppose energy sector was a big step up for me because I had just got the job as um, tran- the division manager of transmission and distribution. Right. I had the job from in October 1, yeah. and I was told that we're now going to form into sectors next October. And the then CEO called me in and he said, we're going to move our 16 divisions into three sectors. Um, We'll be looking for people to fill the three roles. Which one will you apply for? And I said, I'm only a couple of months in this (laughs) job. So he encouraged me to go for it anyway. And I went for interview and I got the sector job. And so at that stage, I was starting to see that, you know, like I saw myself as being a good computer service guy. Yeah. Uh, I saw myself as being... Uh, a good customer-oriented service person. I saw myself as a good salesperson. Um, but I suppose if, if the things that I would bring to the CEO job never really were a currency until the energy sector, and then it suddenly started to dawn on me that there are things in me, and it could be to do with decision-making or risk appetite or communication skills or my own personal value system mm. and that there was something in that that maybe could be useful someday as a CEO. So that's about 2008 but probably about 2010-11 by the time that started to dawn on me. Okay. And when you talk about the, the things in you, what, what in particular do you think is in you that start, you started to realise, okay I've got something here to add? As maybe in a, in a more senior role. Well, I, I was interviewing. We were doing a final interview for a particular role last week, and um, at the end of the interview, the interviewee asked me, "Why do you work for Siemens?" Right. 
which I thought was an extremely good question. And uh, I just stopped and thought, but almost impulsively, I came back to the concept around value system and compliance and Siemens is a great company to work for. You don't have to worry about being treated badly, untoward behaviour, untoward behaviour being encouraged, people being put in difficult positions because of untoward behaviour. So my value system resonates with Siemens completely and utterly, I would say. Um, Decision making, and I'm not talking about just making decisions quickly, I'm talking about making good decisions quickly. Anybody can make a bad decision, anybody can make a good decision, or can make a decision quickly, but it can be the wrong one. So making good decisions quickly and making sense out of your environment fairly quickly, now the environment in which the decision has to be made, but trying to make sense out of that quickly can be challenging for some people. Um, I, I enjoy doing it, I do it well, I think. Um, I can make sense and therefore make good decisions quickly. Um, I'm action-oriented, which is being challenged <laughs> in this new world, um, that everything doesn't need to result in actions and activities. Um, and uh, I'm kind of I'm, I'm dealing with that. But I would have said a while ago, yeah, that's a strength. And now I'm sort of saying that's uh, something that I need to keep an eye on. So how how do you think you have developed, or what you know what's you mentioned there you need to keep an eye on it and, and the world is changing. How do you need to develop as the CEO of Siemens Ireland? Do you think? Um, I can't tell you how I need to develop, but what I need is to have to have the desire right. to need to develop. And I have that. Right. In other words, the day that I stop saying I need to develop is a sad day for me. Now. Yeah. And that sounds it's a bit a, a bit cliche. It isn't actually cliche. Um, I am going. I I am finding the whole. If we just go back into this issue about you know action and and that some problems are not technical problems that need mm. to be sorted out with a technical solution or a process. That some problems are complexities. There are adaptive complexities and you need to tease your way through them slowly but surely. I'm actually starting to enjoy that journey. I'm doing a bit of reading about it. Um, The reading is informing me. I'm doing my own little pilot projects here and there. I'm getting a sense of satisfaction from the results from my pilot projects. So if you just take that little ecology around um, uh, adaptability and apply that to everything that I might have suddenly find a desire to need to change or develop. It, that keeps the job fresh and interesting. Yeah, and it seems to me to be a kind of essential leadership capability, which is to be always interested in your own development, your own learning. You know, what else could I, how else could I see this? How else could I perceive this? I think that to be in a, a mindset of being open to learn something new seems to be essential in an adaptable world where, where, where we can't only rely on our experience to get where we need to go. We have to be open to something new and learning as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, if, if, if you're in a, working in a business that you know, makes Swiss watches and they've been making the same watch for 100 years, um, you could look on the outside and say, 
they don't really need to change. That product is what that product is. But we've seen many industries getting torn to shreds mm. by new innovations and something else coming down the track. So any leader who thinks, you know, I, I have it sussed, this is it. Uh, I just need to keep doing more of this and everything will be fine. Um, those guys are 10 a penny. You know, they're mm. easy to get those people and you will become stale and out of date very quickly if you don't say I need to keep on top of what's going on but what I will say is that and this is why getting great leaders is difficult they have to genuinely she the leader has to genuinely feel what it is that she wants to develop it's no good just somebody telling them, you know, diversity is the new thing in town. Mm. You need to do something about diversity. They actually have to feel it in their gut that this is a good thing to do. This is an important thing for me to do. Right. And then when they speak about it, they speak with authority, they speak with passion, and then people follow. Yeah. And that's what a leader is, somebody who people follows. Brilliant. Well, I think we could probably leave it there, Gary. That's a good place to end, I think. And thank you for the interesting questions. I enjoyed oh. it immensely. Thanks very much.